0: I was monitoring my website for for orders and I saw an order come across from a company named The Shark Group, which is very interesting to me that um, it sounded like Shark Tank. And I was like, why is Shark Tank ordering? I realized that this is, and I didn't know why I didn't know this yet, but this is Damon John's marketing company based in New York City. And they were ordering my product. I was like, well, look at that. Uh, So there's a phone number on it, so I picked it up and I called and I was like, hey, can can I talk to Damon? And they're like, no, you cannot talk to Damon, but, but you can't, but I'll talk to you. And so I built actually a relationship with the receptionist there and she's still there today. And, uh, I started sending product to their office and I made some with his latest book title on it. Next thing you know, about two months later, the phone rings and it's Damon saying, Mike Watts, I've heard so much about you. I had to talk to you. Um, I don't do this, but you know, everybody loves your product here. I love your product. My wife loves your product. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can work out a deal.
1: Hello and welcome to Million Dollar Monday. I'm your host, Greg Mazzello, bringing you real successful people with real useful advice. For people with big dreams i understand big dreams i turned an investment of 200 and a lot of great advice from some really successful people into my big dream proforma that today is a half billion dollar company well hello and welcome uh, we have a great guest today, who is a business entrepreneurial expert with three startups and over $60 million in sales from them. And also, he has a great story about how he was successfully able to do a deal with Damon Johns of the Shark Tank, but not the typical way you might think it happens. So let's just get started here. Mike, Mike Watts, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Greg. Yeah. All right. So I like to start at the beginning, you know, tell us a little bit about where did the first idea for the first business and what was the first business? Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, in my bio, I always put that we have three startups, but really there's many more that were led up along the way. Um, It kind of started with uh, my wife actually saw Robert Kiyosaki on Oprah and she ordered his book in for me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and we read it together. And it became, it really opened our eyes to like the, the life of an entrepreneur, how money works, and how to create cash flow. And uh, because our goal was essentially for her to be able to stay home with her and invest in our family while I went out and, you know, one, brought home the bacon. And the corporate world was not allowing me to advance at a pace that would allow us to move from a two income to a one income family fast enough and so we started hustling at home and garden shows selling everything from well in fact i have one right here because i did a presentation last night this is a our very first product called rain sorb they're polyacrylamide crystals that uh, will soak up water and you can grow plants out of them and you can put your flowers and arrange your flowers and color them and decorate with them and we would we would go to every craft fair and state fair and sell these things and she would bag them up during the week and make all my displays. And we would go out on the weekends and hustle. And so we spent every, every weekend, every sick day, every holiday, uh, out working, you know, grinding the and traveling around we had a little trailer that we pulled around. And yeah. then eventually we had a, had a two-year-old under the table, watching Veggie Tales while me and her up there working, <laughs> working the show. I looked like you okay. had the microphone on my head and, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm up on an elevated platform with lights and she's over there taking money. Cause I didn't, she didn't let me touch the money, but, Uh, that was our early entrepreneurial venture. And, and then eventually we started just cycling through products, lucky bamboo and uh, yard decorations and hand carved wooden airplanes. And then we set up kiosks and malls and we just kept flexing this, you know, trying to explore, trying to see what works, which eventually led me to the licensing path. I was at a trade show in Houston, Texas, when I met this guy named Orlando Jerez, who had invented what would become the pivot trim? He called it the one-two trim at the time. That's his here. It's an aftermarket weed eater head that goes on any gas trimmer. Okay. And uh, the line, the line's pivot on top, and that allows the line to not break off. It's easy to load. You don't have to wind the line on. And uh, when I saw the product, I was like, "That's amazing!" I just want to be able to sell that. And he had filed for patents and was looking for someone to license it. So he suggested it. I explored it and. We decided, you know what, let's leave this corporate nine to five job and, uh, you know, all on all the security that came with that. At that point we had three children at home under five, oh, wow. uh, but we did it anyway,
1: yeah. stepped
0: out in faith and had saved up a little bit of nest egg money and had yeah. a little bit of passive income coming. And, and so we licensed this patent and started on our first real company, uh, back in
1: 2015. So the inventor of the product, I'm guessing maybe wasn't as entrepreneurial or maybe sales uh, savvy as you. And so he wanted to, did he want to partner up with you uh, because of your being able to bring that to the table and ability to be more entrepreneurial and sell the product better than he was doing?
0: I think so. And and the correction is 2005, not 15, but So it all started at a home and garden show in Houston, Texas. I had five different booths scattered across this building. And and he was there. It was his very first trade show. And he was looking for, I think he was looking for somebody just like me. And it it really felt like an ordained moment, right? Like we were supposed to meet there. But I mean, I was selling um, garden products and uh, landscape products. And of course, my rain sorb there and had my gifts. And he was just impressed that I was out hustling and that I could clearly sell he, had, uh, he was actually an amazing guy, too. He was from Nicaragua, fought against the Sandinistas, narrowly escaped his, with his life, floated out in the ocean, was picked up by a U.S. Cutter ship, ended up in New Orleans, and is a really smart developer and just believed in himself. And so he made this product to solve his problem and then decided he wanted to make a company. But because he didn't speak English uh, very well, and I speak a little Spanish and was just struggling, he knew he
1: needed someone to partner with. And, and that's how it all started. So you found him or he found you? How did, how did the actual first seeing the product happen?
0: Yeah, I found him. I was walking by his booth um, looking for you know silver on the sidewalk, if you will. And he was had a demonstration going in his booth where he had a clear plexiglass box with a chain link fence on the inside. And he had an electric trimmer in there because they wouldn't let him run a gas on it. And he's grinding this thing on the fence and the, making all this racket, but the line wasn't breaking off. And I'm all about the demonstration. I always say a presentation without a demonstration is nothing more than a conversation. And But he I had the demonstration it. down. And uh, so that's what really got my interest was that. And
1: so we started talking. So you come up with an agreement. And I think that company was called Better Heads. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but you had an exit. So tell us about your exit.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty amazing deal. Now We we sold our company, the, the Better Heads LLC company. And that was the weed eater head uh, to our largest customer uh, who was a distributor that was owned by a big conglomerate out of New York. And they had our contract was ending and it was either going to be we were going to be their competitor going forward and we were going to have to compete against the 10,000 pound gorilla or uh, we could sell to them. And I actually brought up the idea of just selling to them because it felt like I had gotten every account I wanted to get. Uh, we were pretty globally distributed right, right. and I didn't see a lot of growth. And so we worked out a deal. It was about a nine month process to go through due diligence and, you know, they want to know every, every little detail. And so we did that to their satisfaction. And one day they transferred $6 million into our account. And the the cool yeah. thing about that was that I, along the way we had taken on investors. That's the only investors I've ever taken on. Um, but there was, we we're talking about it's my grandmother and grandfather, my aunts and uncles, my best friends that we had got early stage investment from. And so then we had, were able to go back and then really give some big returns back to those people that trusted us with their money early days. And So it was a neat experience.
1: What I'm hearing the most, the number one thing is that I think you believed in yourself mightily, but more importantly, you just weren't afraid to hustle. Right. Yeah. yeah you, my, da- just... my dad
0: always, my dad always says,
1: son, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. <laughs> <laughs> so now somewhere along the way, um, you you have an exit. You're now a millionaire, multimillionaire. You've got this other business going and growing, but now you start have your third startup. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. Well, this one's really, I feel like this is going to be that, that mark that we leave in the world, that brand that everybody is eventually going to know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because along the way through selling all these products, I, we really it did help me refine what I was looking for. And when the cool thing is that when I found it, I knew it. And uh, this it's very small and very simple. It's just a little little bow tie shaped piece of plastic with an elastic band sewn to the or across the top, and it's glued together. And then it has a 3M backer and you stick that onto the back of your smartphone. And it's like the first time you got wheels on a suitcase, you're like, this is so much better. Like, why didn't we do this before? Why doesn't it come with this? And really, if you think about it, why doesn't a phone come with a a way to hold it? it's kind of silly. I'm glad they don't because it's created this opportunity <laughs> <Yeah>. for us. <laughs> but uh, so we create the love handle is what right. we called it. When I, when I licensed it for the inventor, it was called the sling grip. I was like, Oh no, we need a, a little bit sexier name here. So we're going to go with love handle. We're all carrying our phones. We love our phones. It'll be easy to brand. I've got the trademarks, but over time it has been a, an amazing journey. We're currently, we have 40 full-time employees. We make all our products here in Texas. And you know, post-pandemic has been a great asset for us. Uh, but we just released a, a really amazing addition of the product line. We've had it on the market. The, the total company has been out for eight years, but we just launched the Love Handle Pro. And this really it was this was a product of listening to our customers who said, we love the Love Handle. It's in my pocket. It's thin. If it's in my pocket, I can customize it for my company or my, you know, put my dog's picture or whatever. But wouldn't it be great if it had a kickstand? And so we developed this one with a vertical kickstand that instantly pops out. It works in two directions. And it also, you can change the strap out and wash it. And it has internal magnets so that you can take your phone and stick your phone to anything metal or any magnetic mount, and it will stick super securely. And it took us years to finish the development and the design of this product. But now that it's out there, the market is really receiving it well. Our number one competitor is, does over $300 million a year in business, and we're number two in this space, a distant two. But uh, the runway is definitely there because there's now more phones than people on the planet. And so the market size is astronomical, and our functional product is, is really ready. And so I think that it's nothing but but up from here, and I'm really
1: excited about where we're headed. Yeah. I think most of our listeners are aware, but we won't there's no sense in advertising your competition, but what is the advantage of your product, the love handle over that number one competitor today?
0: Well, essentially everything. Okay. Uh, it's funny because that product was invented for wrapping earbud cords around. It was never actually intended ah. to be a, a grip at all. Okay. And so, I and I knew about them early days. We actually started the same month as a startup uh, back in 2014. And, I didn't even count them as one of my competitors. There was three other products out there that were looking at putting handles on phones in one form or fashion. So I identified them as a competitor, but not the, the round one. So right, right. we, um, uh, they went viral. That's essentially what happened. If you talk to the owner, who's a friend of mine, uh, we're very friendly with one another. And, I, and that's been a theme for me in business. I don't care who you are, you're going to like me. And so he, uh, he just said, we got lucky. You know, they got some in the right people's hands. Ryan Seacrest got one on American Idol and then a couple people on YouTube. And next thing you know, it's a, it's a phenomenon. It's the pet rock all over again. And it was, so, yeah. 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 And they were number two on the Fortune 5000. And, you know, they're really just hit set records. And it was great. And But I think that it was more of an indication of the, the pervasive nature of the smartphone in society. Like, we are the smartphone generation. We're sitting out here just... Everywhere we go, everything we do is defined by the, by the smartphone. And so being able to take that experience and elevate it up for us, uh, you know, day in and day out, you're going to sit down and have lunch. You can prop your phone up. You can look at it. You're on a Zoom call. You can have a great steady video. Uh, you're out and about. You want to grab a picture with you and your wife. You can the magnets. You can stick it on a street pole and set the timer and you get your photo and you don't have to ask a stranger to take your picture. And still thin. And uh, I don't know, in every way. It's not good at wrapping cords around. But it's really good at being a grip and a kickstand in amount. So
1: yours seems way more functional I think than that particular product.
0: We really have focused on function and we've had to be patient. You know, it was they were burned so it's really hard to take on a competitor that's white hot. And that's what we kept running into at retail side by side if I was the retailer I would have kicked me off too and put more of them out there but while they're hot But that's what fads do. They come and then they go. But if they did us a lot of favors, one, it was they were very good about protecting intellectual property domestically uh, for themselves. And therefore, we sort of get a vicarious effect there. But they also validated the category. So retailers understand that smartphone grips are a thing now and not just a thing, but a really big thing and a pretty sizable part of their profit center. And so they're much more open to talk to us early days. Nobody, everybody's like, we don't put things on our phone. That's ridiculous.
1: For sure. No, no, no. There, there really is. Like Wendy's gave McDonald's or McDonald's gave Wendy's credibility, right? Like at one point, fast food wasn't a thing. And so, right. You know, there's always room for competition that helps validate your original concept. Now, was it the, um, by the way, was it the love handle that was invested in uh, by Damon John? Yeah, the, the Damon John story, I'll cover briefly. It's, <laughs> Please. Uh,
0: yeah. You know, Damon was all, I was, he's always been a mentor to me from afar uh, before this. And then when, of course, when Shark Tank came out, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are uh, Shark Tank fans. It's, I think, the greatest TV show that's ever been made. And so watching it, I said, I'm going to go on the show. So my, my father and I, who's my business partner in all these ventures, we went and auditioned in Las Vegas at CES and we made it through to the second round of auditions. And the second round of auditions was uh, a lot more involved. And for whatever reason, we didn't make it through. Okay. So then we tried again the second year and we were pretty disappointed, but the second year we did it in the same exact result. Well, right after that, um, I was monitoring my website for for orders and I saw an order come across from a company named the shark group, which Ah. is very interesting to me that, um, it sounded like shark tank and I was like, why is shark tank ordering? I realized that this is, and I didn't know why I didn't know this yet, but this is Damon John's marketing company based in New York city. And they were ordering my product. And I was like, well, look at that. Uh, So there's a phone number on there. So I picked it up and I called and I was like, Hey, can I, can I talk to Damon? And they're like, <laughs> no, you cannot talk to Damon, <laughs> but, but you can't, but I'll talk to you. And so I built actually a relationship with the receptionist there and she's still there today. And, uh, I started sending product to their office and I made some with his latest book title on it. And then I made some with, uh, uh, some of his speaking series stuff that he was doing. And I just, I gifted the office to the moon and back next thing, you know, about two months later, the phone rings and it's Damon saying, Mike Watts, I've heard so much about you. I had to talk to you. Um, I don't do this, but, you know, everybody loves your product here. I love your product. My wife loves your product. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can work out a deal. And so that's where it started and eventually ended up creating a a great partnership with Damon, and he's been a a champion for us Uh, this season twice. Actually, he showed the Love Handle Pro. On there one time I guy pitched a, another phone accessory and he goes, well, you know, I've already got the love handle thing here. It's got a kickstand, too.
1: So I'm out uh, <laughs> for that so, reason. <laughs> for that reason, I'm out. Awesome. You know, the you just said something that is so wise, Mike, and I'm going to repeat it because uh, uh, you take it for granted in your own DNA. However, everybody listening needs to hear again what Mike said and I wrote it down. So I picked up the phone. There's so much wisdom in that, Mike. So I picked up the phone and and, and to many people hearing that, it might sound obvious, but there are a lot of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs listening to this right now that may even have those moments like, hmm, should I call? Uh, Wouldn't that be amazing if this happened? But because of call reluctance or fear of rejection or whatever, they don't pick up the phone and make that call. And I think if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, you need to listen to the wisdom of what Mike just said. So I picked up the phone. The worst thing that could happen is they don't answer or the worst thing that could happen is you never meet Damon. But worrying about the worst thing that could happen probably keeps us from the best thing that That could happen many times in our lives. That is so
0: true. I mean, the biggest risk in life is to to not take risks
1: in life. I love it. I love it. The biggest risk is to just not take risks. You've lived your whole life taking risks. All right. So uh, congratulations on all of your successes. By the way, I saw that you, because you are also not only a successful serial entrepreneur, but you're also uh, a enjoy being a speaker keynote speaker or more and it, I thought I saw that you spoke at, at a um, Red Bull event yeah that actually that's
0: tomorrow um, oh, in college okay. station yeah so I'll be speaking it's the new Red Bull uh, basement program and it's really cool there you know they, they go around and they and they curate speakers like me to to share their story to college students specifically ones that are in the process of starting a business or they're in some sort of entrepreneurial vein in the university. And they have these sort of all night brainstorm sessions where everybody pounds Red Bull and they bring in mentors and we get in there and try to help Aww. them out. So I'm going to, I'll be the keynote speaker. I'm actually going to go ahead and volunteer to go up early tonight. I'm going to start meeting with um, startup young startups uh, in the morning and mentor them and, and coach them and try to give them some direction. But It's definitely a passion of mine to to give back and to to share my story because I think the tactical, and I'm so glad that you do this, Greg, because these these stories, mine and all all your other guests, like when people hear an example of how something's done, it makes it real and it totally is real.
1: You just have to do it. All right. Well, it's been a great time spending time with you. I really appreciate your visiting with me and uh, I wish you continued success. Good luck and God bless. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Same to you, Greg.